Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy holidays, metalheads. Welcome back to another episode of Last Words presented by The Pit. We're talking Christmas. We're talking Hanukkah. We're talking heavy metal Kwanzaa and even Festivus for the rest of us. I'm one of your co-hosts, Doc Coyle of Bad Wolves and host of the X-Men Podcast. I'm Katie Irizarry of Season of Mist and Outburn Magazine. And I'm Jordan Knowles from Two Minutes to Late Night, representing for everyone who is Jewish and ghoulish. <laughs> and our special guest, very special guest this week is Black Dahlia murderer, screamer extraordinaire, Trevor Sternad. Welcome to the show, my friend. Yo, thanks for having me, guys. I'm feeling mighty festive tonight. Are you now? Well, I mean, everyone here brought some piece of apparel and you know i mean i guess you're just trevor reminds me of a kind of uh gritty santa prequel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i do have body by santa a little bit i got <laughs> like, like dc comics frank miller <laughs> for sure the dark santa <laughs> this is like that movie they're making with bob odenkirk but it's about santa and it's with you Awesome. I'm I'm down. I can't act my way out of a paper bag, though. That's going to be an issue. <laughs> I was thinking more like a Bill Goldberg Santa. Just Santa's sleigh. Anyone familiar? Classic, like, cheesy horror Christmas movie. I've heard about this. Uh, I've wanted to watch this movie because there's nothing more than I love than Jewish people taking over Christmas. I love it. It's great. Fran Drescher's in that shit? Yeah, Fran the Nanny is in that, man. Fran Drescher's I've, I've been nanny. watching The Nanny lately, guys. Yeah, the, the Nanny, show. The Nanny is a good show. Yeah. The Nanny's a good show. Fran Drescher is hot. She's an icon. Can I say? To a fashion icon. She was she very well-dressed. I need she, that one episode she had a dress that was all like sequin print candy wrappers, and I need that in my life. Fran Drescher, if you like gathered up all of her outfits from that show, like you, she could conceivably have won every season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. <laughs> For sure. It's super possible. Uh, but speaking of acting, Trevor, you guys are, the Black Dahlia Murder is putting out a Christmas stream. It looks like it's gonna be so much. It looks like it's 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 got concerts, it's got skits. Tell tell us about this. You them all, man. You them all, man. It's drops the 18th, which is Friday. Yeah, it's uh over an hour. It's got uh live performances from four different locations, one of which is an old church that we managed to weasel our way into. It's very beautiful. There's some skits, there's a claymation part that's awesome that has voiceovers by our guitar player brian there's a lot of uh drunken shenanigans there's a special guest that i uh i really want to tell everybody but i can't it's that good i gotta keep it i gotta keep it uh, under wraps but <laughs> it's funny as hell and people are gonna like it we managed to land neil hamburger to host the whole thing which was huge mm. yeah and he he delivered the goods for sure definitely uh right on brand with a our band sense of humor. So uh, yeah, I'm really happy with how it came together for like something that we conceived 
like the idea in like a week and then just jumped right into executing it. Like it's a, it's come together very nicely, actually. I'm very happy about it. I have to say, I loved this trailer. Um, I think right now we're at this time where everyone's getting a little burnt out on live streams, but this was something that made me really excited. It was funny. Um, you definitely gave the overall vibe away without giving too much away. So I'm actually really excited for this one because it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, we definitely wanted to do something different. And, you know, we were all against it at first and the label just kept knocking at our door. And, you know, we had the album come out at the beginning of this whole thing. So we got to remind people that we're still alive and we're still a band. So we'd only do it if it was like <laughs> our style. You know what I mean? And we definitely did. It's definitely really dorky and really funny. And um, uh, it sounds great. It looks great. It's definitely like the most uh, high quality live uh, footage that we've ever released so uh, yeah I think people will be really happy with it I'm very proud you know I think it stands uh, with our the DVDs that we've done in the past and uh, I think the fans will really like it hell yeah do you have like were you a band did you get into holiday shenanigans live like uh, like playing concerts in the before times in the before times back when there were shows uh, we played a Christmas show that happens every year in Detroit, Black Christmas. We played that a couple times. That's like the first thing I think of when it comes to like doing holiday shows. And uh, it's always a mixed bill. Um, I'll have like Suicide Machines headlining and like us right below them. And just like all kinds of different bands from Detroit history, you know, Negative Approach sometimes, mm. ska bands. It's a blast. It's really a blast. And it's awesome to be like the most heinous band of the whole lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that does rule because you get to like no matter uh you 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 get to shock the audience one way or the other yeah they can't like, they can't run you know they can't they're stuck in the building with us so that's cool definitely fun to torture people a little bit like that but it gets really crazy people get naked people get wild um it's fun <laughs> definitely fun shit black christmas definitely recommend uh checking out if, if you're ever in michigan yeah, it's the Detroit bar venue version of Eyes Wide Shut. You love to see it. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut, my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> can, wait, can you tell me what a Yule is? I, I could look it up, but I like b being ignorant of what it means. And I'm just waiting for someone to explain it to me. I don't even really <laughs> technically know what it is. If you really want to, you know, it's Christmas. I'm pretty sure it's just... It just means like, Christmas? It's an old-timey way of saying Christmas. I feel like it might be pagany, of pagan origin. I don't write that down. Like, I wouldn't take my word on it, but, like, it sounds right. And our, our last DVD was Fool Em All, so this is Yule Em All. That's where it kind <laughs> of uh, stemmed from. Nice. I, I was inspired kind of what Trevor was saying about these Christmas time shows, you know, Every Time I Die has a pretty mm -hmm. famous mm -hmm. Christmas show they do every year that gets, seem to get bigger every year. They keep adding days and massive bands doing reunions and stuff. And Kamira, one of my old favorite bands, used to do a Kamira Christmas every year. Dillinger did their last shows, or I think right after Christmas, I believe, a couple mm -hmm. of years back. So it's always a time of the year I think about shows. So there's always just cool shows. People are back from wherever they come from home and it's it's a really mm -hmm. reuniting time i'm it's something i'm definitely going to miss but i guess you guys are kind of filling in the blanks for a little bit for stuff that we can't do in person unfortunately 
Yeah, I hope so. You know, it didn't seem like a a ton of bands were coming down the pipes for the Christmas stream. Thankfully, you know, Etids is going to be awesome. Theirs is the next day, Saturday. Um, I'd love to play one of their shows too. That show looks awesome, and uh, it's always a really cool lineup. And they have like um, like hip hop artists and just all kinds of stuff. You know, it looks awesome. Wrestling. Yeah, yeah. See, that's killer, man. What a yeah. what a, a spectacle. You know, so. I imagine their stream is going to be a hilarious, of course. You know, those guys are uh, very quick-witted fellows. <laughs> <laughs> They're smart. They're sharp. Yeah, real the sharp. Kids. You got to keep your eye yeah. on those kids. Yeah. Well, like, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to see because they're like. Uh, there are a bunch of streams this weekend, but they all seem, based on the trailers, just very different vibes. You guys very clearly have your own thing. Like, you put your own thought into it. Like, like Etids looks like the Eric Andre show. Yours uh, kind of, like, looks like SNL meets Punisher Warzone. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be very different vibes, I think. And I'm excited about it. All right, folks, this week... It's our Christmas episode, so we have we are obligated by these hats that we are wearing to talk about some Christmas music. Everyone's got a very strong opinion uh, about Christmas music. I'm assume most people would assume that everyone on this show hates Christmas music. I'm I like I think that our audience is going to think that today we're going to discuss one way or the other what we think is the most metal Christmas album that exists. That's what the discussion is. Trevor, do you want to kick us off? Do you have... Uh, yeah, I got a good one for you guys. It's the Tales from the Crypt Christmas record that the Crypt Keeper sings all the songs. Yeah. <laughs> yes! Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's from the, the mid-'90s, and uh, it's got death metal vibes. There's a lot of gore. There's a lot of mutilation. You know, you're decking the halls with parts of Charlie. Like, lots of bad puns. You know, it's... It's great. It's honestly awesome. <laughs> it's so awesome. John Kassir is just clearly real drunk doing the whole album. It's so it's it's perfect. It's exactly it's exactly what you expect. It's literally just uh Tales from the Crypt intros, but as Christmas songs. It's it's great. Great choice, Trevor. Yeah, he's just going off. There's like a a pun per minute on there for 30 seconds even just firing away could you do you think they had like the like a writer's room for that album just like people up till like 3 a.m having to write that many christmas puns because there's one yeah, for that, every yeah i can imagine the whole round table right now <laughs> katie this is gonna be like my teenage girl pick uh it's the nightmare revisited and it's basically the soundtrack for the Nightmare Before Christmas as redone by a whole bunch of different rock, metal, uh, like you've got everything from like Rodrigo y Gabriela, which is just like flamenco, uh, Spanish style music, Korn, Rise Against, Marilyn Manson. It is just an awesome sampling of the bands of that era of like the late 90s, early aughts. Um, and it's just, it's so fun. There's definitely some songs that are terrible. There's some songs that are great, but either way, it is a great time. And this is totally just like my, it's definitely not going to be the most metal album, but this is my like inner goth girl pick and I'm going to stand by it. I had to listen to this album for an old podcast 
And I've just, I've got, I gotta be honest, Katie. I've never been more embarrassed to listen to music in my entire life. I was listening to it on the subway, just so scared that someone was gonna like hear uh, just like new metal uh, nightmare before Christmas coming out of my earbuds. But you were right. Listen, it's it's for you to bring up your. Your teen goth girl, that's exactly what this album is for. This is just right. But you know what? As embarrassed as you are, I have no problem cracking that window in 20 degree weather with my hot cocoa as I drive through the neighborhood blasting that. <laughs> no shame. The actual best version of that would be probably Avenged Sevenfold did a song called Little Piece of Heaven, which they did with a couple of guys from Oingo Boingo, and it's very much in the style of the music from that film. And it's it's one of their best songs and feels all Christmassy and kind of cool. I don't know if you guys know that song. I do no, know I that don't. song. It's kind of fun. <laughs> I, I it's like amazing. It. It's one of my favorite songs, man. Of, of like the, the mainstream art bands, I really liked Avenged Sevenfold in high school, politics aside or whatever, like that they got involved in. But I thought that they were really talented and they, uh, the guitarist and the drummer, I believe, had like a Mr. Bungle-inspired little side project for a while. Do they have very crazy influences, but Mr. Bungle or uh, Dream Theater, all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's nuts. They had like a weird, but they had like circus shit. So I thought like listening to whatever album that was on, I was like, it's really cool to see the Mr. Bungle side of, uh, of like Avenge popping out. Uh, on that song and I thought it was really I haven't listened I have not listened to it in like maybe eight years but when it came out I was like fun it holds up it holds up his guitar has pinstripes on it it should sound like Tim Burton whatever what are you gonna do doc what do you got so I could go two ways here I could lie and just pick like a random uh trans-siberian orchestra record and be like this is <laughs> This is my favorite metal Christmas record. But the truth is, I love Christmas music. I really do. But I don't really care about Christmas albums. Like, I don't want to hear one artist doing a bunch of Christmas songs. I just love the amalgam of everything as a big thing. I, I could put on any playlist of Christmas songs that are fairly popular, and I'm, I'm pretty happy. But the, but the real, so that's the lie. The truth is the only Christmas album I really love, so by de facto it has to be the most metal, is the Charlie Brown Christmas <laughs> soundtrack. But here's the thing, it's a jazz record, and jazz is kind of like, they were the metal heads of their day, right? It was like musicians kind of aping other musicians and just like sitting around doing like heroin in somewhere in Brooklyn in like the fifties. I mean, that's pretty, pretty that was, the, that was the, they were the elitist of their day. That's about as good as it gets for me. I like Christmas music too, man. <laughs> I'm just imagining people outside of big boy <laughs> deli playing <laughs> the Charlie Brown Christmas album. Um, that adds, a, you know, I love I love the Char the Charlie Brown Christmas album rules. It's just not it, it's. By the way, I listen to it all year round. I don't just wait till Christmas, <laughs> all right? Like you people, <laughs> Doc's watching Charlie Brown all this. He he he's skipping the Great Pumpkin. He's listening to the Christmas album in Halloween. Hey, hey, I'm from Jersey, okay? You listen to the album, you watch the movie, all right? <laughs> watch this both first one and the sequel. 
Can I just say with my, I mean, I also thoroughly enjoy Christmas music, and but my all-time number one Christmas album, not a metal album, would absolutely be NSYNC's Christmas album. That adds <laughs> up. I just think it's a total classic. But if you uh, like it ironically, then it is kind of metal. <laughs> In some ways. I feel like most people, based on like what they know about me, they think I'm going to pick the King Diamond, uh, just the single, mm-hmm. uh, No Presents for Christmas. We covered it on my show, ba 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 But no, the most metal Christmas album in the world, just based on concept, is Neil Diamond's Christmas album. The most famous Jewish uh, like pop and rock singer making a fucking Christmas album. It is fucking evil to take Christian people's money like that. I love Neil Diamond. He's a maniac. He is the funniest of just like the weird Vegas, uh, like, I don't even know what to call that kind of rock or whatever, like mom, mom dad rock. Something. Yacht rock? Is it yacht rock? Is he? I don't know oh. if he's yacht rock. Never would know. Way the, casin- the casino circuit. <laughs> you casino only rock. play at like casinos. Listen, a lot of casinos on boats, bro. Yacht Rock is like Toto and Hall and & Oates, and that's not the same thing. Crooners, I guess? I don't... Grand Dad Rock. A balladeer. Either way, Neil Diamond, the most metal thing ever was, was just being a famous Jewish person singing Christmas songs, taking so much <laughs> money from Christian people on Christmas. That's awesome. Well played. Yeah, it's he literally. It's literally like Neil Diamond went down people's ch- like reverse Santa went into people's houses and just <laughs> took money out of their wallets and <laughs> ran away. I have to weigh in on that. So I'm atheist, agnostic. You put me whatever boat you want to, and yeah. I I feel like Christmas as it has for me nothing to do with religion at all. I think it's just a pop culture thing, and it's fun. And yeah, that's kind of how I look at it too. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, just it combines. Basically, here's my favorite things about Christmas. Okay, drinking, <laughs> <laughs> eating like the worst, the things that are the worst foods for you, and watching Christmas movies. That's pretty much it. Like, it, it, so by the way, I love those things. Three sixty five. Watch movies, drinking, and eating crap. I love it. So it's just, it takes that and it distills it in its most perfect form where you can do it guilt-free. You're like, oh, it's just part of the tradition, baby. That's the only reason why I got this rum and I'm watching this movie 58 times and just eating cakes. You're talking about like New York Christmas or like East Coast Christmas. Like I think that really has like, uh, it doesn't, even though Christ is in the name of the whole like thing, it's just a festival. It's just got a very different vibe. Growing up in like Colorado as like being being a Jew is weird because it's like a like I am not religiously Jewish at all, but it's one of those things where I don't really get a choice in it at all because it's <laughs> it's a religion and a race at the same time. It's fucking weird. Weird that we did that. But uh anyway, so like in the Midwest, it feels more uh or like just sort of in the middle ground, it feels more religion base but being out here like it's just like christmas is like yeah we're drunk and we're watching batman returns fucking christmas <laughs> yo good reminder thanks for that yeah batman returns is that's my christmas movie because i just i just want to be a little bit spooky i go with gremlins for that uh gremlins, like i feel like a forgotten christmas classic 
Well, yeah, what's about Met? Yeah, is that like the, the most metal Christmas movie? Actually, Krampus could have been good. It was almost good. They 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 made it really cheesy with like I don't know. It it could have been amazing. It was like a I'm with five, you, dog. But it should have been an eight. But the monster itself, the Krampus monster, it, a good movie is still out there. Could have been the most metal Christmas movie. It had a, it had the right cast. It started off the right way, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna fucking love this. And then I was like, ah. Oh. And then I was like, Krampus looks good. And then credits rolled, and I was like, okay, yeah. we're done now. <laughs> Krampus did look good. For that movie was low, so I guess I wasn't that disappointed. I like Trick or Treat, that guy's other movie, a lot. I think that that's an underrated Halloween classic. Anyway, whatever. We're done with Halloween. Trevor. How are you? What's what? What are your thoughts on on Christmas? Do you do you have a good time? I like Christmas. Uh, I don't really have anything festive going on here. Like I kind of blew my Christmas load in Detroit when I was there with the band doing the Eula Mall thing. But uh, I like Christmas. I like Christmas music. Um, I don't really put it on myself necessarily, but I you know I, when I encounter it, I'm down. Christmas music reminds me of working at Frank's Nursery and Crafts when I was in high school. <laughs> Anyone who worked in retail is scarred for life. Dude, uh, yeah, definitely. I worked in Hot Topic, and I feel it had the reverse effect on me because now I love the Nightmare Revisited album. Mm -hmm. oh, we, we know, no. we know, Katie. We know. We heard. All right, it's an old segment. I I was the Christmas tree guy at Frank's Nursery and Crafts. So I had like scrapes up and down my arms from the branches. And I was covered <laughs> in sap all the time. I feel like we, we hear about, you know, like my coal miners and like farmers, but we never hear about the Christmas tree guy, you know, and his suffering and, and his trials and, and PTSD from getting stabbed with pine cones in the face. And I'm glad you, you paid some, you know, respect to that. Now we know empathically what you went through all right shout out to them and they need they need to bail out how about the yeah. christmas tree guy the christmas tree guys need to bail out the people who hate christmas music absolutely come from retail i've, I've had a million retail jobs i'm poisoned by every christmas song that's why the only christmas music i can enjoy is neil diamond talk singing <laughs> it because i'm like yeah you're a little thief I love this crime. And then I also you love- You heard that. Uh, That's from the last segment, all right? Well, I, I told Katie, I chastised Katie, now I'm chastising you. I know what you like. Listen, <laughs> I got one more. We haven't talked about the best Christmas song ever. Is it Silent Night by Manowar? No, it is. That's a good, that's a good one. That, that genuinely really fun. But best Christmas song of all time, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen. That's, that's the one. Pretty good. Yeah, that's that's rocking. Everyone's in a good mood. I would put Mariah ahead of Bruce, if I'm being honest. Like, that's my jam. Like, I, uh, I, I like that song. That song gets a lot of hate around this time of year, but. Number one, it's kind of like, like, it's like the, uh, you know, the Bohemian's Rhapsody of, of Christmas songs. It just took over. It's it. It's just, it's over. But I, here's my vote for the weirdest and maybe creepiest Christmas song. Tiny Tim went on Howard Stern like 20 years ago and sang a song called Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. And it just stuck <laughs> in my head. I don't know if y'all remember that. And something like this it goes, Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. <laughs> That's the tune. And he he goes into depth about Santa's uh, predicament, but it was it was uh it stuck with me. Do you guys Good know job, that Tiny Christmas Kim. shoes song? Christmas shoes. That is the shittiest. Christmas Which one? Christmas shoes. 
By who? Uh, I know about that song from that Pat Oswald bit. Man, I don't really know that much of it. It's more like the video that infuriates me the most. But it's like the story of this little kid who's going to buy shoes for his mom. His mom is on her deathbed with cancer. And uh, Rob Lowe is in the video, too. Mm. That's the best part. Rob Lowe, the most handsome man that ever lived. Very handsome. But the song is like, it's infuriating. It's like, who's the song for? People that had family members that died of cancer want to hear this song? Or like, like what the fuck is going on with this song? It's, uh, the band uh, was called uh, New Song, Ooh. and it's Christmas Shoes. They were called that. All right, hold on. Weird Take, best Christmas song is actually the Hanukkah song. Adam Sandler, hmm. bike drop. You know, I was thinking like, we have a lot of metal Passover songs, you know, like uh, um, Metallica, Creeping Death. I feel like there were other ones and I wrote these down and then I forgot, but uh, you know, there really aren't any metal Hanukkah songs. There's an there's a Israeli band called Orphan Land. They have to have some sick Hanukkah songs. Come on, anyone? anyone Hanukkah just also isn't our, it's not anyone's like most favorite. Like we we give gifts to it to like kind of try to be equal with Christmas, but it's just really just like we're like, can you believe how long that candle was lit for? Jesus. <laughs> does I mean does anyone ever get like depressed where they're just like, you know what? Let's just give in. Like Christmas one. Let's just you know, let's just pack it up. You know, put the candle away. You know, just like you know, because Kwanzaa, right? I'm half black. I don't know one black person in my family I ever heard of that ever met someone that did Kwanzaa. No one cares. You know, maybe there's some like in the closet. You know what they're probably, there's probably some hipster white people who are doing Kwanzaa on the low. <laughs> they're not telling nobody about it. <laughs> you know, I, they're just like, yo, is everyone gone? And they do some Kwanzaa rituals. You know, <laughs> it's probably really crazy. Somewhere in Brooklyn. <laughs> right <now>. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It happens at Union Pool. I've never done like a hard Hanukkah, but I've also never done. I don't. I don't like Christmas and like this time of year just isn't my vibe really uh, at all. I love I love giving gifts to people, but this uh, it like the this type of holiday I've just never I've never like felt like I fit in it or experienced like the right version of it. Like I've done like weird half-assed versions of it because like we're a Jewish, like we're a half Jewish family. And then I've gone to like some ex-girlfriends who have Italian families who go the fuck off and it's super religious and everything is fish. So I've never had like just, I, I, don't, I don't, I think the right Christmas experience. Uh, Listen, the Italian knows? Christmas experience is the only Christmas experience, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Because the food, the guys are the best the cooks. Food, the food. And Christmas food. Eve is the jam. Like, seriously, for me growing up, it was always about Christmas Eve and not so much Christmas Day. Because Christmas Day, yeah, you open the gifts under the tree, and then you celebrate the birth of a god, meaning me. <laughs> and then, a god. Yes. <laughs> the birth of myself. Um, but Christmas Eve to me was always the excitement because that's when the whole family was together and wasn't this one's at that grandmother's house and this one's at that uncle's house and this one's at that brother's brother-in-law's house all together and you have all the fish my mom kind of made some like uh changes to the menu a little bit it wasn't as traditional because you know we have some picky eaters 
but all the food, my God, you have like eight courses. You and like food to me, I love food. How are you so small, Katie? All right. How did you survive that? Oh my God. I would like problems because now I don't live near my family and I was long for that again. <laughs> I have an aunt that makes a Christmas lasagna and that is fantastic. But I always miss that Christmas Eve feast. Like we had, I'm not even kidding, like eight courses, cold you... antipas, hot antipas, the first plate of pasta, dessert. Okay. It's, I guess that's four, that... but it was a lot more. That's what I thought I was going to get into for Italian, Italian Christmas. But no, it was just the really Christian version. So each was just a different, it was just fish. There was so much fish. I was, yeah. I wanted, I was like, where's the, when do we get the ziti? What's going on? I don't know if I'm feeling fish on Christmas. We, we were talking about Christmas traditions. What's the most metal gift you've received? Trevor? Oh, uh, man, this is a tough one. I've gotten lots of death metal records for Christmas and uh, from my mom, from my parents. Good and uh, I definitely yeah. got in fights with my mom about what I asked for for Christmas. <laughs> Same. Um, she's like, you're making me buy this CD that has knee deep and menstrual blood for Christmas. Every year you ruin <laughs> Christmas with this shit. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. Like never, I never got a spooky thing for Christmas. So I just stopped relying on like that side of my life being catered to by my family. I was like, listen, this is just not what, like, it's just not going to be from them. So that's awesome that your mom is participating in your lifestyle. That fucking rules. Oh, for sure. For sure. Good job, Mrs. Sternad. The other way, you know what I mean? But they were like, this is what he likes. He likes all that nerd shit. My <laughs> My mom's the same where I gave her my Christmas list and I would list like maybe like 20 albums and I'd maybe only get like seven of them because you know she used the mom eye to decide what I was getting and what I wasn't. And I will say she resisted at first, but then she kind of just leaned into it and was like, well, I guess at least I know what you're listening to. And to a point where we had like a coconuts, which later became an FYE down the block. And she walked me in there one day and was like, if my, I, cause she just didn't want to come at me the story. And was like, if my daughter wants an album with a parental advisory sticker, just sell it to her. I don't want to come in here. <laughs> yeah. One, just kind of pivoting off what both you guys are saying. It kind of makes me a little, I guess, sad that this is not really a thing anymore outside of maybe in the last few years, people would get an iTunes gift card or something like that. I think there's something about getting a physical piece of music for Christmas that Christmas is so autobiographical in terms of the, you want something, you yearn for it, you're young, you don't have money to get it. And then you're gifted to gifted it to you. And then it becomes something you remember fondly. And because music was something that was expensive and hard to get, you would listen to that album in a way that it just it just seemed more important, and so it it just has a higher value, I think, in, in in your life. And my story is very similar, but it's something bigger than just a regular album. It was the Metallica live shit Venge and Purge. So it's three live albums. One is audio, three disc from Mexico City, and then and at the time these were videotapes. So it was one from Seattle and one from San Diego, I believe. And this, the Seattle one was from the Injustice for All. And then it was newer. And at the time, I didn't have all the Metallica albums. So I got to hear all these songs 
from the previous records recorded in this most amazing fashion. So in a way, it, it kind of formulated my entire relationship with the band. And at the time, that thing was like 80 bucks in 1994 or whatever the hell it came out. And it was so for your parents to spend that much on something for Christmas, it was kind of a big deal. So it's something it might be the best gift I've ever been gotten, period. Just not the most metal gift. But it's just something I think about. It's always very special to me. I just remember how excited because when something's that expensive when you're a kid, it feels unattainable. <laughs> so when you get it, you're like, oh my god! Oh. <laughs> that that thing was really cool too. I remember um, all the uh, booklets and the liner notes, pass and all that stuff. It was cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, it was a it was a stencil too with the little the scary guy. Yeah. Okay, so that's how you got into the old. Zip. This is why this is why you you're, you're out here defending death magnetic and all that shit. I get. <laughs> I, I see what's up now. That's true. You're right. This was enlightening. Yeah, I see. I see what's up. The story that you just shared. Take a bullet, man. <laughs> As I said with Trevor, like my my parents have just been like, I, we're not participating in this. So I guess like technically the most metal gift I ever received was like a Stevie Ray Vaughan CD. Like that's as far <laughs> as they went. Like greatest hits. And I was like, cool. It's great. Stevie Ray Vaughan's a good guitar player. He's got the blues. He's sad too. <laughs> <laughs> Stranded. I guess, <laughs> I guess, you know, I should maybe even give my mom more credit because I came prepared with a different metal gift, which I still want to talk about because I have a show and tell. Um, you know, but she bought me my first death albums. I heard them. I, uh, a friend of mine or gentleman friend of mine had, had played The Sound of Perseverance and I became obsessed and I needed to hear it again. So I wanted all the death albums. My mom bought me the whole discography. Like she probably doesn't even realize that because they were just names on a, a piece of paper for Christmas. So yeah, that was pretty cool. But the gift I was actually gonna highlight is I get these. So I have a very dear friend of mine. Who oh, cool. Toys, and he has sent me some really cool metal and horror action figures um, for Christmas and my birthday. And um, I love these. I mean, you, as you can see, I have a very proud display of toys and it's not even everything because I still need a second shelf for some of the stuff I've collected since. Um, so, you know, I've gotten some really awesome pieces for my collection. I've got some Eddies, I've got some big rattleheads. I've got a Scott Ian with an interchangeable head because it could either be Scott Ian <laughs> or one of the zombies from The Walking Dead. I've got it, like the new it. So um, these are definitely some of the most special, meaningful gifts I've gotten for Christmas. And then funny enough, uh, not, Christmas gift, but I would like to highlight because it really just ties into who I am as a person. One of the best and most metal romantic gifts I got was someone sent me roses in a Nightmare Before Christmas coffin. <laughs> wow, that's nice. That's thoughtful. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was actually one of the most thoughtful gifts I've been given. Yes, uh, well, a by a non-friend, I guess. Oh, he's a that was a friend, special friend. Yes, that was yes. The one who got me the flowers was a special friend. Yes. But I really right. just want to talk about how deep my obsession with Nightmare Before Christmas is. So, yeah. I got a question. All right. Since we're talking about Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> is it a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? It's both. You start watching it in like okay. September, because let's face it, that's like when Halloween begins. And then you stop watching it like Italian Christmas, which is like mid-January. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I've... 
I've always found it. We here's the thing, because we both worked at Hot Topic when we were teenagers. I found it weird uh, because of the Blink One Eighty Two song, and then seeing all the merch that they really like. They really market like the love story of that movie, and I hadn't remember like seeing. I watched it a lot as like a kid, and then I watched it for the first time as like a twenty six year old with like an ex girlfriend, and I it, it, the movie's forty five minutes long. And there's like no love, like it's not, there's not really a love story in that movie. And I think that that's super weird. Like most of it is like, uh, like Sally being like, hey, Jack. And he's like, shut up, I'm making a tree. Like that's most of that movie. And I just thought, I thought it was really weird that all of the merch is like those two in a heart or like holding hands and smooching and being spooky. It's weird. It's a textbook abusive relationship. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's an abusive relationship. I think Jack is just so wrapped up in his job. You know, I think it's the classic mm. opposite track story where he's just so serious and wrapped up in his job and Sally's more adventurous and whimsical. And then they learn to love each other and he becomes a little less serious. And you know what I'm saying? That's what I, how I see it. We just, got, way, we if, got... if there was one of those word bubble charts for you, Jordan, I think spooky would be the biggest one. <laughs> you love that word. You like, yo, I, you know, you you must be seeing like ghouls and goblins all the time. Like, do you know? Man, I gotta dress up like a spooky dude once a week, every Thursday. <laughs> I'm a goblin. He's just it's seeing life, life through that spooky lens now. You know? Yeah. Listen, the paint drips into my eyes. <laughs> it just changes the way you see. Get into your blood. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into albums, folks. First up, we got to talk about these two new singles from Every Time I Die, A Colossal Wreck and Desperate Pleasures. The, I, I don't know which one was which. It was all one big badass song. This band, we every week we got to talk, we talk about like some band that's like, wow, they just get better every time. This band just fucking gets what was like good about them when they were younger and they figure out how to make it better every fucking time they get heavier they get more creative each time they still have the magic that makes makes them stand out they still have their sense of humor they have almost a, a formula that you can pinpoint every eated song is going to have keith screaming a sentence over and over and over again eventually one of the riffs is going to go real slow but it's good. It's fucking awesome. I love all of the elements that they're bringing into this. I love that, you know, you can hear some fucking Slayer up in here. The the band, this band just sounds like their own genre and they're a ton of fun. And I'm excited these songs actually got released because they did an interview a few months ago saying that they probably weren't going to release the, anything until they could tour again. I guess they changed their mind. The songs dropped. They kick ass. They probably also have a situation like Trevor was saying with a label behind them saying, you know, you kind of got to let people know you're alive. Come on, boys. As, as that label person, I mean, I'm not going to force anyone's hand, but I'm also just like, what can we do here to remind people you put an album out this year? Or what can we do just remind people you're, you're still abandoning, you're still existing? So that could be why that change was made. But I, I agree. This is a band that gets so much better with age. And like, I loved their last album, Low Teens. Like, I thought that was their peak. 
And this is, makes me excited hearing these two songs because I could tell they're kind of staying in that same direction where they're really, I think that was the album where they finally found their most mature, they, they really came to full maturation. And at the same time, I think Keith Buckley, the vocalist had gone through some real serious shit and it unlocked this new, new kind of like anger and emotion in him that really translates on these records and makes them more raw. But at the same time, they're still a lot more refined in other ways. I think that's carrying over that, you know, whatever they did with that last album, they're sticking with it and they're, they really work their formula out. So I love these songs. It's evident that this band is strong, stronger than ever. And I cannot wait to hear the what they do next. Yeah, I, I, I love these songs. I think Desperate Pleasures, it might be up there with song of the year potential, at least mm -hmm. sums, sums up this year, probably better than any any other song you can feel. We're all feeling, and and, and the, the refrain is Desperate Times. That's, what, that's a little deviation from the actual title. In a way, they almost make me jealous sometimes because I think it's so hard to stay true to yourself when you're really unique and you have a thing that the whole thing about the band is they always kind of sounded youthful, but eventually you get, get older, you're not going to feel and be able to express yourself in that same energetic way. And yet they can, it doesn't sound forced or it doesn't sound like they're retreading old things. And, and I think it's, that's extremely difficult. And it kind of says a lot about the individuals involved and in knowing what we know about them. There are, extremely unique people and they kind of live very unique lives. And then that probably leads into the reason why they can stay so vibrant and non-contrived. So kudos, I think to, and, and it's, it's so hard to make an impact with just a song or a couple songs and they did and, and people still give a shit in a really big way. And I'm just, uh, it's a nice surprise. I haven't seen, yeah, you brought that up. I have not seen just people completely pop off and be this excited about two songs. Like I've seen people be album excited, but for two songs, this it, everybody was talking about these two songs. It was uh, all types of people. People I like knew from high school, people who I met through making my show and out here it's it was everywhere you're super right about it making an impact it was fucking crazy trevor what do you think man ah uh, man i think they're they're awesome i admire those guys uh we toured together in a uh, long time ago 2004 when we were just babies yeah I, I remember seeing them with buried alive and they just had a demo tape out and uh yeah man they've just been killing it this entire time they've been able to keep it fresh like you were saying doc but also kind of like stay grounded in their initial statement you know what i mean and uh i love the comedic aspect you know keith is like a very silver-tongued kind of guy and that definitely comes across and uh yeah there's always this tongue-in-cheek vibe and a lot they're hilarious and a lot of fun and you know, write great songs. And yeah, I'm not surprised they're still here and still doing great. You know, they've been like, like BDM, they've been able to survive the comings and goings of different trends and different sounds. And, you know, they're just kind of like got their own thing. They're off in their own world and it's awesome. You know? Well, it's, it's so interesting. You said you saw them with Buried Alive because I met Andy when he was doing merch. He was like, a, he was roading for Buried, Buried Alive and like, 
<laughs> uh, that's cool, man. Uh, Andy's awesome. He's a character. He might have given me their demo, too. He's like, oh, I have my own band. Check it out. <laughs> so, one of our favorite bands, the Deftones, have released a 20th anniversary edition of the classic White Pony. And this time, the second half includes a bunch of electronic-based remixes from super famous people like Black Shinoda and Robert Smith of The Cure. And I pretty much love this. It's kind of hard to screw up an all-time classic album, I think, even for the Deftones, a band that has an entire catalog that people worship. The White Pony, for whatever reason, seems to kind of exist a little bit on a, a different plane. So you're already dealing with exceptional material. So that bass obviously gives you a lot of room to not screw up. And I think for the most part, every rendition was enjoyable. And I think with the remix, you have that opportunity to kind of do unexpected things where you're used to hearing the song a certain way. And then, okay, it, it makes a little left turn or they'll do different chord changes. And for me, what it reminded me listening to it was kind of that mid nineties thing where it was like the Dust Brothers and the Chemical Brothers. I was listening to the Fight Club soundtrack and they even took one song and it sounded like Aphex Twin or something. So it kind of felt like a throwback and the album is a sense of throwback. So it kind of just brought me back to that time period. And in that time period, everyone used to do remixes right after the album came out. And I kind of like the idea of waiting a long time between doing a remix because now you're a little less attached to it and you're more willing to hear it in a new light. So I thought it was fantastic. I will probably keep listening to it. I, I, you know, I've never been a huge fan of remixes to begin with. Um, there's maybe been some exceptions to that, but few and far between. Like for instance, I maybe I love a Nine Inch Nails remix. Sometimes I like Pusifer remixes more than I like the original. But it's a very rare occasion. And unfortunately in this case, I didn't really like it. And I, I kind of went in with some, you know, reservations to begin with, but I saw some of the names in particular. I mean, one of my favorite all-time Deftones songs is Passenger. And I saw Mike Shinoda remix that. And I, that's actually what I listened to first on the record because I was excited for that and I didn't enjoy it. So then I started from the record top to bottom and I can't necessarily say it was bad. I think for me, it's just the context. It's when you already know a record from front to back and you already love that record and have formed a real solid relationship with that record. And then suddenly you're given something else. It could be a little jarring for me personally. And that's where I think the disconnect was. Maybe I need to give it some more chances. Probably not really eager to do that, so I'm probably not gonna. But um, yeah, I didn't love it. But um, again, I'm someone who typically doesn't really enjoy remixes to begin with. What do you think, Trevor? Um, I liked it. You know, it's not something I would listen to all the time. And I guess I would say that about electronic music overall. But um, yeah, I thought it was really cool. Um, eclectic uh, mix of uh, artists there. I really, really liked the Purity Ring remix. Uh, I love Purity Ring, and I thought it was cool that, like, she sang on it, too. You know what I mean? Like, not just mm -hmm. using the old vocals, but also, like, adding a little twist to things. And, um, yeah, the whole thing's got, like, a real ethereal vibe, I think. And um, it really, you know, Deftones has that sort of, like, sexiness, that heroin chic kind of thing going on. I feel like this just really ramps it up, these remixes, you know. So it's definitely um, make-out music, I want to say. You know, girls be loving the Deftones, let me tell you, you know. 
You're right. It the, the Deftones sounds heroin chic, but every member of that band looks like they're from Rocket Power. <laughs> so it's it's very it's very opposite. But that is exactly what it sounds like. You're right. Um, I'm kind of more. I I feel like I've always wanted to like remixes. Like Doc Doc is. Re I remember exactly that era that Doc is talking about. Where the like where the Spawn remixes came out, shit, man. Yeah, Spawn soundtrack, hundred percent. Mortal Kombat, um, like White Zombie, their big record, um, right? Had a remix come out within like six or eight months of the album. Fear Factory would do a remix record after every record within a pretty short amount of time. So it was, it was common because that was going on. Nine Inch yeah, Nails also did a lot of remixes. By the way, I'm like not sure the Dust Brothers and Chemical Brothers are different people, okay? <laughs> I think they just switched hats or whatever. I'm like, what's up with Dust Brothers? They double dip, got that money, got more money on top. And they just took, it was like, all right, ditch the lab coats. And then they rolled around in the floor. We're the Dust Brothers. Um, but I remember that era. I I felt like every, every band did that. I was like, okay, well, they want to, they're just trying to get their songs into the, to, to fit better with like the underground club scene or it'll fit better in this environment. I'm never, I'm obviously a huge cover fan. Like I love a weird cover or a different take on something, but there is something jarring to me about a remix where I'm hearing the literal like vocal track of something mm -hmm. put into something else. I think it's why like, I'm also not, I'm not a huge mashup person either. Like when someone takes like like Ozzy Osbourne and like puts it over September or whatever, I, I, like it's that's never my favorite. It just feels it's like the audio version of the Uncanny Valley. It's like audio CGI. I'm like I don't, I'm like watching the Polar Express a little bit, and I'm just like, is that a face? I don't think that's a human face. I don't know what's going on here. Um, so I'm I'm kind of I'm with Katie. Like I there's nothing to me that I would consider bad. I just, it just made me want to like hear, like when I hear Chino's voice, I wanted to hear the the song I knew behind it uh, more than I wanted to hear um, the the like chill beats. Well, I, I think they are uniquely, their music aesthetically is kind of built for things like this. Yeah, and if you listen to, especially because the the vocal like you said is kind of the bedrock of what is utilized throughout it conjures his side projects yeah. crosses which is more yeah. electronic team sleep sleep which is a little team more sleep. electronic i think we have to kind of delineate from our expectations of liking an album and don't want it screwed with but i love that creativity of saying hey let's have this vocal melody but put it under a different chord progression because it completely reframes a, a, a piece of music. And if the whole thing is, well, I like it the original way, yeah, you're, yes, but you're just used to hearing it that way. And so I just hear a lot of this. I'm like, oh, this, I could totally hear this in a movie or something. Like it had that, it kind of, by the nature of the, the sonics, it feels a bit cinematic. And I just, I, I, I can always go back and listen to the original versions. It, it just kept it interesting for me. And I thought there are, the exact kind of band, like you said, Trevor, like that that sexy time music, it just made it a little more sexy time. Just turn that sex a little bit. <laughs> got a little steamy. Well, that's got a little, what, got a like, slick. totally. 
Well, I feel like that's why I said like I'm a I'm like a cover fan. Like there was I I agree with Trevor also that my favorite was Purity Rain. To hear her voice a part of it was exciting, refreshing. I feel like I would have I kind of was more curious to hear going into a remix. I just know what the vocals are going to sound like. You know, I know that they're going to sound like the vocals from the original song, but in a cover, like I love taking an old melody and putting different chords behind it, but I kind of want to hear what like the singer's going to do with the voice. And well, I just every time I'm like, a re- the, the point I want to make is I think there's a level of creativity when you have a cover, you're using a basic framework to use that to, to inform the next thing. This, you kind of have to build it, rebuild it from scratch, which I think involves a level of creativity of subverting expectations and the whole point is to do something different and so i think it is a high level of difficulty and i respect that so the next record we have this week is boris with Mersbo. not really sure how to say the title here it's just an obscure sequence of numbers and letters and i gotta tell you I, do, I try my best on the show. I try my best. I really do. I, I try to give everything a fair shake. I try to listen to everything from start to finish. I, I try my best. I gave up. I listened to the first song, and this was another instance where I was just walking around muttering to myself, what is this? I, what is this? And then I was like, well, I want to give up, but you know what? Maybe not every song's like this. And then I listened to the second song, and I said, oh, okay, every song's like this, and then I stopped because it was horrible. It's not music. I don't know what it is. It was one of the worst things I ever heard. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that, but this was, I, I felt honestly like this is like some Guantanamo Bay shit. I'm sorry, am I not allowed to say that? Did I just get us demonetized? The bottom line is this was terrible. I never want to hear it again. I don't even really want to talk about it. Guantanamo <laughs> Bay <laughs> Torture music. <laughs> what do you think, Trevor? <clears throat> Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, I'm not like super big into either artist. Um, I did buy a Mersbau CD once as a kid, thinking since it was noise, it was going to be like sort of like anal cunt or like noise made by instruments, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I went back in the store and was like, this CD is just a bunch of static. And they're like, yeah, it says right on the front, you bought it. <laughs> like, like, okay, you're right. But um, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's not for everyone, obviously. Boris is the uh, the musical aspect of things. You know, there's there's a song in there somewhere, and then Mersbau just kind of like makes it terrifying. You know, does it sing over top of it, and uh, it's definitely for for cool kids. Kids that are cooler than me, I think. Or the death. I literally thought you guys were trolling me. I thought I was like, <laughs> I was like. I, I, I went into Steve Harper. I was like, oh, hell no. I was just like, uh, because the first song starts out and it actually sounds a little Deftonesy. You hear the like kind of ethereal vocal and a little guitar riff and this little grooving. And then you hear some I, percussion, but it doesn't really sound like an instrument you've heard of. It sounds like a hobo walking around one of those cups with like one or two coins in it. Just, just, just. And then I and then and I was like, okay, that's I hear that, that's the thing, but it's like loud in the mix, and I'm just admit, and I'm like, there's, I'm like, there's no way they paid a motherfucker to mix this. This is some dude in the band who's mixing, who's at the board. He's like, yo, I'm gonna put 
the hobo cup man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yo, it's like, it's like the, fucking, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the cowbell, you know, in the cowbell sketch. It's like, he's like, we need more, more ho- hobo cup. That's, that's really the heart of it. And then I, and then I started listening. And, but, and then that wasn't really the worst of it. These all other sounds came in and then. Then I started turning into like cantankerous old man, and it's a good thing I'm wearing this sweater because I was like, "What is it with these young bands that have the jingle and the jangle and the flipperty and the flopperty?" And you know, that's I was just he- just hearing weird. I was like, well, "You got the jingle jangle man over here, you know. You got the uh, squiggly squaggly guy doing that, and then flipperty flopperty." And it and I was like, and like I said, there's a song underneath. And it's cool you have all that stuff, but just bring, just get someone in there to mix there, make that in the back. So that's probably Mersbo who's in there. And listen, Mersbo, I'm sure you're a very nice person and you probably good. I don't know what instruments, you probably invented some stuff for this. And that's probably your gift and skill. I just want a little balance so that the jingle jangle and flippity floppity is a little bit lower in the mix. That's all. Well said. I'm absolutely with you. Listen, if we didn't get, uh, demonetized for Guantanamo Bay, we 100% got demonetized for that Cosby impression. <laughs> <laughs> he, would, he, would, he would not enjoy this. He should be forced to listen to it. <laughs> it's true. I'm the noise defender on this show. I love Boris. I've played shows with Boris. This just seemed mean, man. Like, <laughs> it just seemed like me. Like, I th- there's like three albums in my life that I've heard. I'm like, it this this seems like someone was being mean to somebody else. It feels like Mersbo was being mean to Boris. I still think that Lou Reed was being really mean to Metallica on Lou. Uh, I knew I think, that was gonna come up. I knew that was yeah. next. <laughs> I think he was. I think I've. I I think Bowie's right. I think Lou Reed was just playing a prank on Metallica. And it's a mean thing to do. You shouldn't do that. Um, and then uh, I don't know. I'd like. I there's probably a third one. I don't know. But I there are versions of noise that I that that I get. Like I remember even this Mersbo type of noise that I think is interesting. I remember going to see Cattle Decapitation when I was like 16 years old, and the opening band was called the Bastard Noise. And I rem- I just saw like two dudes come out looking like roadies. I was real high <laughs> at this show. And I thought they were like setting up the computers or the keyboards for another band until like 20 minutes went by. And I was like, w- and there's just noise happening in the room and it's terrifying. And I looked at my friend, I was like, is this the band? I thought these were the roadies for 20 minutes. And so, and it scared, it it was genuinely, I was like, I understand this. I understand like the bit, but this was, this was too much. It was like one noise kind of the whole time. There was the hobo cup and then one noise over music. And I was like, this just seems like a mean thing to do. It was also so fucking long, man. How, how, how how, how long did you last? Cause I had a certain point. (laughs) Skipping. I just see, I, I, hell no. I just, eventually I was like, I've had enough. Uh, I made I it through the I first through song. I got the second song begrudgingly. I, I made it longer than that. I made it to the second song and then I skipped around to try to hear a riff. 
And then I made, and then I realized I was like, oh, this is song 13. I've, I found a riff. I found oh, something. I hope <laughs> the guy Mersbo, he actually cre built an instrument that doesn't exist. And the machine that makes all these sounds is also called a Mersbo. That's like what I'm picturing. Like yeah. He's a scientist. And it's got like a Tesla ball in it with like lightning shooting through it and stuff. That'd be cool. Can I just say, I kind of figured out what this band reminds me of. So there's an episode of Rick and Morty <laughs> where the big head shows up in the sky and he's like, show me what you got. And you have to like show your band from another planet. And there was like one band of aliens and they were just playing like arbitrary sounds. And that's what this reminds me of. A fake joke band of aliens on a cartoon. And they have those sounds, flim flam and... and yeah noise fans are the real punks man like <laughs> like you can't like anything weirder than that there's nothing more against the grain than that but, you is know, it Henry ASM but is it like asmr like where you just have to have like be wired a certain way where it's it's soothing like it's like a counterintuitive thing where something crazy to something else is soothing to someone else yeah i don't know that you get the same like enjoyment out of that you do for music or like ticks the same boxes for these people i think maybe they just like i don't know just, what do you mean these want to be scared man these these noise people <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm like trying to imagine because i i'm like man this this one like i i've talked a lot about how i appreciate when someone like tries to take a sound and then like morph it or shift it or use it to build to, to something else, or even like try to build a tone out of it. But at this level, I just like, what, like this, this is something you're probably listening to by yourself. It just I sounds- feel, I feel like it's a, a sort of a horror appeal. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's gonna be terrible. It's gonna sound terrible. And it's kind of like an experience more right. than like, this is like a Serbian film of albums. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Can I just say to our producers that if you ever want me to listen to something like this again, then I need to get hazard pay. You, you, <laughs> you need like a do you need like a trigger warning or like it's like anything you tell us to listen to, you have to listen to first. You're and paying like, for my therapist. No, I disagree. Send me bad shit. I I, I No, I mean, honestly it was fun ripping that apart. It wasn't, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's where the great comedy comes from. Yeah. Passion. And finally, we have a posthumous album from the best uh, rock vocalist in the world, Chris Cornell. It's a covers album. No one sings like you anymore. He sounds incredible. The The cover compositions themselves, they, they're fine. They're not performed in a way that I like really better than the original or in a way that makes me go oh i never thought about it that way but hearing him sing is always amazing he's got it, it, there's literally nothing wrong with his voice in any way there's his voice is unique but it isn't i don't think anyone would call his voice weird it's just perfect he has a perfect singing voice and i miss him and goddamn it, I did get, even though the songs themselves didn't affect me emotionally, hearing his voice did. Um, because he's that incredible. 
Yeah, I, I, it was funny the way you, you let it off. I was almost going to pose it as a question, but maybe it's more of a um, rhetorical question of like, pound for pound, is there a better rock singer of that era? It's hard to compare eras. And the right. only other people I can, you could even put in there to me are Mike Patton and uh, Lane Stanley. I mean, Lane Staley, I, it's weird because I feel like because he died so long ago, it almost feels removed from that, where he, he didn't even almost, he didn't, he didn't even get to fulfill his real potential or do different things. Whereas, I don't know, and I, you're probably right, but for some reason, I, I, I think about it in those terms. But yeah, he's, he is definitely up there. But pound for pound, Chris has got to be the best. And yep. it's all on display kind of his entire range. And I, when I thought about the album, I, I thought before I would always see him do these acoustic covers. And some of these we've heard in different forms before. So I was expecting the whole album to be mellow and kind of acoustic. So I was surprised when it started up with some more full rock production and some up-tempo songs. So it really wasn't until Patience hit that I feel like the album kind of hit its stride because I really like it when it's a little more slowed down, a little more soulful. And the, the last song is like this big, almost gospel type. He's like soul song. He's really go going for it. But I, I did enjoy the arrangements, even on something like Patience, where you're doing an acoustic version of an acoustic song, but it's presented in a very different way. It's much more somber, much more... Um, I don't know. He's always able to get to this. Uh, like, like you said, you feel sad and you, you, you can't help it. Like he's, you hear him and you want to cry. It's, it's, mm. it's crazy. And it, and honestly, he said these situations, I almost, I get pissed off. I get more angry. Cause I'm like, this dude was peaking. He had so much more to do. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any, any sense. And, uh, and yeah, he's, he's the man. I've, I've nothing wrong to say about this. I'm just glad we have, more music from. Yeah, I felt this was a bit of an emotional journey for me as well. Um, I mean, obviously to speak on something Jordan already said, it was just emotional to hear his voice again, you know, and kind of have that beyond the grave. I mean, it's kind of that same effect of when uh, Bowie put out Black Star and it's just like, wow, we, we they uh. left us before they left us. And uh, for me, I think it really hit right in the beginning because the lyrics for the first song, it's about, you know, holding on to someone before, you know, it's too late because one day they're not going to be here anymore and they're going to be gone. So I felt that was just really powerful and in a way almost felt like, was he trying to say something with this record, you know? Um, so that really struck me that I felt there might be something deeper between the lines there. And that could also just be me overreaching because that would not be a stretch either. Um, and at the same time, I felt the music itself didn't quite convey the same mood that I felt while I was listening to it, where the music did feel a little more upbeat for the most part. You know, there were definitely times where it slowed down a little and got a little more melancholy. But I think, you know, it kind of just starts a little more upbeat and poppy in a way, um, which didn't quite fit the mood, I guess, that I was trying to feel during this record. I guess there were some conflicting emotions. But in a way, I kind of like that aspect about it because it's not necessarily a total bummer. There's also this aspect that feels like a celebration, which I think is also very appropriate. Trevor? Uh, yeah, you know, it was definitely bittersweet, you know. Um, 
I found it to be pretty haunting right from the get-go, just hearing his voice again, you know, and hearing something new and knowing it's like the last like new thing you're ever going to hear from him, you know? And um, yeah, so like I, I really couldn't see it through any other lens, you know what I mean? Like it just made me sad kind of and just like, um, you know, I think it's probably having that effect on a lot of people too. You know, it's, it's hard to like separate that, you know? It's such, like, such a massive loss and so like, People still aren't over it, you know what I mean? So it's just uh, definitely pulls at the heartstrings for sure. That was definitely, I think, one of, I mean, most of these deaths when when uh, a rock star or celebrity dies, they're shocking to begin with, but some aren't. Like Dio, of course, it was terrible, but it was like, well, he was very sick for a while. You know, even Eddie Van Halen, it's like, okay, well, he had cancer. So things like that, I guess, as shocking as they are, it's almost expected, but this was one of those things that was just totally shocking. And that made it a lot harder, I think, than some of the other deaths that there have been in recent years to kind of hold on to or kind of grasp onto and kind of make sense of. Absolutely. Yeah. This, his, his passing was, was so shocking. It's how some suicides do feel, which is they feel out of nowhere. Like they feel signless at the same time. Especially given the, the the circumstances, he was on tour with, you know, uh, like like younger bands. It seemed that there were like a lot of plans to keep going. So it's just it 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 hit harder than than a lot other. It's just it feels it feels it or not necessarily harder. It just hits different in a way that sticks. And so yeah, the hearing the voice posthumously haunts a little more than I think other stuff that we've heard uh, from people who are no longer with us. All right, well, that does it for the holiday episode of Last Words here in the pit. Trevor, tell us about you all. Tell us all the details for tomorrow. You all, December 18th, 7 p.m. Eastern time, but it's up for 48 hours. A lot of joking, a lot of toking, and a lot of blokes. And uh, you can get tickets at ulamall.nightshiftmerch.com. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Doc! You can find me at <laughs> Doc. <laughs> Damn it! Ouch. <laughs> oh! <laughs> fucking Tales from the Crypt Christmas album, all these puns. <laughs> <laughs> So stupid. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. This is all staying in. You got to just say your fucking (laughs) socials, man. You can find me at Doc Coil on Twitter and Instagram, or you go to my website, www.doccoil.net. Katie. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Merciful Kate. You can follow me on all social media at Two minutes to late night on Instagram at 2M2LN on Twitter. Thank you all for listening to the Last Words podcast. If you want to leave us a comment about this episode, go to our YouTube channel. Click on the video. Leave it there. We'll read it. We have to. Follow The Pit on all social media at We Are The Pit to see other cool videos like this interview we just did with Fear Factory. We're here every Thursday, even during the holidays talk about heavy metal with all of y'all. Bye-bye now.